as you could probably figure out by my name, I'm not from around these parts. Uh, but I have lived here for 18 years and called North Carolina my home. Now, I grew up in New York. Don't hold that against me. Okay? But I was born into a very, very Italian family. So, with that, I need to give you a couple of warnings. Sometimes I slip out of my southern state of mind and I get excited. And the more excited I get talking about Jesus, the faster I talk. So therefore, if I start talking too fast, you all just need to wave at me and say, yo, slow down, dude. And I'll go there, kind of, sort of. The other thing is this. I cannot talk without these. And once in a while, Italian phrases come out. So I want you to know something. I do not have the gifts of tongues if you can't understand it. There's a few people over there that know how to, how to translate. So if I hear me say kifa or something like that, it's not tongues. Now, while I was praying this week, I Googled. You know, I love Google. You can put about any question in the world in that thing, and something's going to pop up and tell you about it. So I Googled, who is Jesus? And... Oddly enough, I found a YouTube video that was filmed in New York City. Go figure. I always believe there's no coincidences, just godcidences. <laughs> and this particular video was a bunch of guys went around New York City asking this question. Who is Jesus to you? New York City, mind you. What's amazed me was a few of the responses. I'm only going to give you a couple. Some people said, he's one of those prophets. Another person said, he's a very nice man. A good person. Someone hit it right on nail on the head and said, he's the son of God. And I said, yeah, you go, bud. But then there was this guy, and he says, I don't know. I don't think he exists. I think the cameraman was probably shocked because he just kept the video running in the dude's face. And it was one of those awkward moments. And this guy got the most indignant look on his face, and he said, matter-of-factly, I know he does not exist. That last response just stirred my heart. This young man was filled with disbelief and was irritated without question to the question, who is Jesus to you? I watched that video over more than once. Now, my initial thoughts are, are you kidding me? And then a little bit of the New York Italian came out, that little bit of attitude. I wanted to go find a dude and headlock him for Jesus and say, there, take that. <laughs> but then the Holy Spirit humbled me and said, yo, that was you. That was you. Yeah, I was brought up in a church, going to Sunday, church every Sunday. I was told that it was a mortal sin. If I didn't, I'd go to hell. So when you were a little kid, you'd go to church. Because <laughs> hell scares you. You know what else? Hell should scare us today, too. I was taught about Jesus. I knew Jesus in my head, but never experienced what it was like to have a relationship with them. You know, that total being, if you will. And I began to turn away from church when I went to college. 
And then going into my late 20s and 30s, I was overwhelmed with disbelief. You know, I kind of have a similar story to this young lady. I was into some heavily drinking, assortment of drugs. I played football in college, and I, was, I played linebacker. So I was one of those guys that was just mean and nasty and liked to hurt some people. Now, don't get me wrong. Hitting somebody on the field and laying them out is probably one of the best feelings you'll ever experience. <laughs> it's true, but when you're doing it without pads in a bar room because you're drunk and knocking people out and seeing them laying down ain't cool. But that was me. That was me. And then, of course, you know, your parents try to challenge you. Oh, go to church, go to church. And, of course, I gave them multiple excuses. You know, that's just a place made up of rules. People there are hypocrites. But you see what, what the whole thing was? None of those excuses were related to Jesus Christ. I used them for me so I didn't have to go deal with going to church. And I could continue to disbelieve. Then after, you know, years have gone by, three, after three years of getting married, my wife accepted Christ as her Lord. She tried to share him with me. But you see, my response was quite similar to that guy. I got real indignant, got in her face, and said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about the Bible. I don't want to hear about Jesus. And the more she tried to share with this to me, the person she loved and wanted to spend the rest of her life with was in her face and getting really indignant. I became angry. I always tried to pick a fight, no matter how, over the what topic. A matter of fact, the dude was from New York that witnessed to her. We were living in Maryland at the time. Every time I saw him, I wanted to take him out behind the tool shed and put a whooping on him. And I would try to intimidate him. I would try to get him to talk bad to me or something of that nature. But the guy was full of Christ. Seven long years, I tried to wreck my marriage. I tried and everything in my power to destroy the woman I married. The wandering and drugs and alcohol continued. The verbal and the emotional abusiveness I gave towards my wife was nonstop. But I witnessed something in her. I witnessed Christ in my life, in my wife. I couldn't deny it. You see, Jesus was working in our lives unbeknownst to me. He was keeping us together. And then he did something to take me and blow me out of the water when he gave me the miracle of my son. I praise Jesus Christ for reaching down into the cesspool of my life, picking me up by the scruff of the neck and saying, yo, dude, enough is enough. It's now your time you live for me. Hallelujah. All because of his love, his mercy, and his grace. I stand before you today to say Jesus is alive and he is real. Today we're going to be looking at some scriptures from Matthew chapter 16, if you have a Bible, verses 13 through 19. And you see, Jesus asked a question in these verses. He said, who do you say I am? That's the title of today's, or this evening's, I guess you can call it sermon, speak, speech, whatever. Excuse me. I want you to hold on to a theme. Can't even drink, I have a hole in my lip. Every person has to make a heartfelt decision to respond to Jesus. 
Hear it again. This is where we're going to go. Every person has to make a heartfelt decision to respond to Jesus in their life. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 9. I'm just going to read them. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Why do people, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth you shall bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth you shall lose in heaven. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord God Almighty. Praise your blessed holy name. Lord, we come before you today just in awe of who you are. Lord, I'm just so grateful that you have brought us here tonight. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that everyone here is not by coincidence. It's because you're tugging on their hearts to hear the truth. Lord, I just pray now for your anointing. I pray that your spirit will awaken us, almighty God. Awaken us mightily so that we can see you. Fill us up with you, who you are. Lord, I just pray now that you increase and I'll decrease. In your blessed holy name we pray. Amen. So taking a look now, Jesus is just before we get to verse 13, it says, now when Jesus came into the district. You see, they just came out of the providence where the Sadducees and the Sadducees were were teaching falsely, of course. No matter, you know, imagine that. And he took his disciples into a Gentile territory. This is what was going on over there. But Jesus says, yo, we got to get away from this false teaching. So he slips into a Gentile um, territory because the Sadducees and Pharisees won't come. Now, the place they went to was this region called Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you're into maps, it's about 120 miles north um, from Jerusalem, north of, um, about northern part of Palestine. Imagine that, false teaching still going on there. Now, this region, though, was strongly identified by a various pagan religions. It was the center of Baal worship. Now, Baal was the god of the Canaanites, and this religion was all based upon the worship of the god who provided fertility. So the bottom line was this religion was based, and this god was based on sexual immorality. Now, Baal more than once caused the demise of Israel. More than once. If you read the Old Testament, you see them guys falling and tripping over themselves every time due to sexual immorality. Now, Caesarea Philippi was originally called Panaeus because it was the center of the worship of a Greek god by the name of Pan. Now, this region was littered, littered with shrines of Pan. Interesting thing, I found this comment from a, a book by the author of Stanley L. Jackie. The book's title is And On This Rock. And he writes about this cult. He said, Pan's cult was a celebration of fertility. That the celebration readily took on forms of plain orgy is suggested by Pan's most characteristic features. A head decorated with horns, a leery smile, and lustful smile, 
and the prancing legs of a goat. I don't know about you, but that sounds like one ugly dude. Today, we actually continue to have false teachings, idol worships, and the cults and the idols of today just have different names. Some of their founders claim that they're the way for eternal life. You see, these false gods of today do not look like goats. They might not have horns, but they still have that same leery and lustful smile. Most, for most of us, our idols are whatever desires we have that keep us from following Christ. Let me say it again. Our idols, our false teachings that we suck into our life are the things that we desire that keeps us from following Jesus. Now, Charles Spurgeon is probably one of my most favorite guys. He was a pastor back in the day, 1864. I always like to study dead guys. And I'll tell you why before I give you this awesome quote. Dead guys, you can check out how they finished. You know if they finished strong walking with the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I love Mark Driscoll, love John Piper, love all those big-name dudes. But we don't know how they finished. Great men of God, pray, pray for them that they finish strong. These cats are the old guys that are dead. We know how they finished. Listen to this quote, 1864. Whatever a man depends upon, whatever rules his mind, whatever governs his affections, whatever is the chief object of his delight is his God. So the question I have for you, what is your delight? That is keeping you from walking with Jesus. What do you got going on? So after seeing all these shrines of these false gods, Jesus and his disciples, it was time that Jesus said, enough of these shrines. I need to get to the, I gotta cut to the mustard. I got to get right to the quick. And he said to them, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now, I don't know why, if you ever thought about why did Jesus always call himself the Son of Man, it was probably his most favorite self-designation of himself. And that actually comes from Daniel, Old Testament prophecy, chapter 7, verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heavens, there came one like the Son of Man. Jesus always refers to himself as the Son of Man. Then we see in verse 14, the disciples said, well, we'll tell you who the people think the Son of Man is. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of those other guys. Now, many thought Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's what a lot of people thought. And if you remember from your Bible study, John the Baptist was all about one thing, repent. Jesus is coming. That was John the Baptist. You know, and his, and I love his garb, right? All that camel stuff, all that smelly stuff. He was an outdoor kind of guy. Probably was a great hunter. I kind of love him. Uh, you know, side note, imagine this. A gun-toting, hunting preacher. I can't help it, but that's who I am. John the Baptist had a very strong message. But the people were so afraid of that he was coming back. And that was what was going on. But you see what happens here. These people were afraid of him coming back. The people missed what John the Baptist was preaching about. It was standing right before them. And one of the, my most favorite verses about John the Baptist comes from John chapter 1, verse 36. This is John the Baptist's public 
claim about Jesus. He said, he looked at, the verse says, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Right there, right there in front of you. Behold the Lamb of God. Don't miss him. There he is. That's the guy I've been telling you about. Repent. Get to know him. But they missed him. Some of the crowd evidently saw Jesus was also the fulfillment of probably, this says, the prophecy of Elijah. Now, they knew the scriptures. They knew Elijah was coming back because Malachi wrote about it in chapter 4, verse 5, when he wrote, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So they're thinking, oh, Jesus must be Elijah. False. He wasn't. He, he came to do what? He was the forerunner of Jesus. Even Jesus in Matthew um, referenced who he, who he was. That John the Baptist was the Elijah to come. Now, Matthew also writes, is the only gospel that mentions Jeremiah here. Well, the other Gospels don't mention Jeremiah. Now, there's a lot of different thoughts about that. Possibly, okay, possibly, they thought that Jeremiah and Jesus had something in common. They both spoke authoritatively. They both had long-suffering, and they both wept over Israel. That's the common denominator. Now, it was good that people were recalling the Messianic message. That's awesome. But the Messiah was standing right before them, and they refused to accept him. And this is so real even today. There is a few years ago, you know, Facebook's an awesome thing. It gets you an opportunity to unite with a bunch of old friends. And, you know, I was a slug from way back. So every college friend and every high school friend finds out that I'm a preacher. They're saying, yo, dude, what happened? It's given me plenty of opportunities to share Christ. Now, sharing the Lord with one of my closest friends. Well, well, he was an offensive player, a defensive player, so I didn't like him that much. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> And I got to the point, and I asked him, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? And he shook his head, and he said, I know I need to have Jesus in my life. But the timing is just not right. The timing is just not right. <laughs> the dude's 55 years old, has a very serious disease, and he still hasn't come to the Lord. The timing was just not right when I shared Christ with him. I don't know about you. Stuff like that just breaks my heart. Do you know somebody like this? They know the truth is a person, but they continue to deny Christ. For me, that's my extended family. My heart burdens for people I know and love have a one-way ticket to hell and to continue to refuse what I've been sharing with them for years and what my family has shared with them for years. What will you do with Jesus? You see, there's only one of two responses, as you heard earlier. You either accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you reject him. There's no fence sitting. There has to be a decision that's got to be made. 
Some people are fence jumpers, as I like to refer to them. Thursday nights and Sunday, they're on this side of the fence, Jesus this, Jesus that. But the other five days, they're living like the world. That's nothing but a bunch of fence jumpers. You need to know what to do with Jesus each and every day. And then, there's those other cats. They're on Jesus' side of the fence when everything's, you know, issues. They need help. They got problems. They got troubles. But as soon as things are cool, they're on the other fence, outside of the fence doing the same old sin, doing the same old type of activity. that The Lord just looking at them, shaking his head, saying, yo, dude, what's wrong with you? Hear me. Hear me closely. If you only seek Jesus when you're in trouble, guess what? You've got a whole bunch of trouble coming at you because he's a jealous guy and he wants your attention and he's going to get it. So you might as well just say, okay, Lord, forget about it. I'm going to not want, I don't want no more trouble. I want to live for you. It's going to get your attention. Then there are those like my friend. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe later. That response is no. I reject you, Jesus. If the only time we seek them is when we need them, we're missing a whole bunch of joy and a whole bunch of awesome stuff. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. Tomorrow, no guarantee. For those that reject him, they're playing Russian roulette with eternity. A decision that has been separated, that decision that they make by rejecting him will separate them for all eternity from Almighty God. Stop running away from Jesus and start running to him and hold on to the best thing that will ever go on in your entire life. Yeah, there's trouble. Yeah, there's issues. But there's no better place to be than at his feet or in his arms. Peter is the man. One of the three main apostles. Of the, he was the inner circle of the twelve. Peter was a guy who at times suffered from a disease I suffer, quite frankly, from. The mouth is quicker than the brain. It's an awesome, it's a terrible disease. If you got it, I feel for you. I've got your pain. And I love the way Peter responded to the question. He said, when, he, when Jesus said, who, he said, you, he said, who am I? He said, you are the Christ. No holding back, no going on. Peter jumps straight forward, you know, right in your face. He says, without hesitation, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus asked him the question, who do you say I am? Peter, without any hesitation, says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Now, up to this point, you know, let me back up. When he said, you are the Christ, he knew at that moment, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. He became man, born of a virgin, obediently lived out the will of Almighty God, granting God's mercy, granting His grace. He paid our debt, sin debt in full. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was flogged. He was stabbed. He was hung on a cross. Why? Because He loves you. He died for us. He conquered death. He rose on the third day. 
40 days, walked around saying, yo, look at everybody, everybody, I'm alive. Then what did he do? He sent it back to heaven and says, at the right hand of Almighty God. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's the non-negotiables of our faith. Those right there. Don't let anybody tell you differently. That's the fact. That's what the gospel message is. Then Peter added, he said, and you're the son of the living God. Okay? That's, that's a little point here. We need to remember something. Where are they? They are in a region surrounded by what? Pagan gods, which are all dead. Our God is alive. He's the only one of alive, who's alive. Think about it. All the other leaders, all the other false religions, all the cults, both back then and today, all those guys are dead. They're dead. Think about it. Pick a religion. Pick one of the crazy ones. All their leaders, all their dudes, they're dead. Only Jesus is alive. That's a hallelujah. The only one who conquered death is Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully to Peter's response. It's a defining, or his answer, excuse me. Listen to Jesus' response to Peter because it's one of the most defining scriptural moments you'll find in verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, up to this point, Peter and the rest of the apostles were following Jesus. They were living with him. They were being taught by him. They were observing his miracles, all in the hope he was the true Messiah. You see, they had the head knowledge. They had the seeing knowledge. They saw basically all this stuff going on. They saw the scriptures being lived out. But what they didn't have was Jesus right here. They did not have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They didn't have Jesus in their heart like we like to say. They were longing for the fulfillment of the Old Testament that a promise of a divine son as an anointed king was coming on that big old horse. That's what they were looking for. Now, Peter was blessed. Because God, at that moment, opened his heart and revealed his son. Jesus called Peter Simon, Bar-Jonah. Now that simply translates Peter, the son of Jonah. That was the point, the point out that although Peter has an earthly father, his ability to confess Jesus came not from any flesh and blood source. It only came from his father in heaven. Up to that point, Peter only had all the worldly knowledge. He did not have this knowledge until God opened his heart. Jesus in John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, I, I'll share this the best I can because it's one of, the most awesome, one of the most awesome things I've ever got to experience. I get Jesus bumps just... Reflecting back on it, there's some people in this crowd tonight that can give testimony to it with me. Back in the fall of 2010, I went to a country called Costa Rica. I went with a bunch of high school seniors in a class. Now, these students grew up in strong Christian families. They attended a solid Christian school. They studied Greek. They studied theology. They knew the Bible since they were real little. They could... You know, they memorized books on books. They were taught it. 
I had an opportunity to preach down there. It's a pretty cool. You got to preach in English and have someone translate in, in Spanish. And I was talking pretty quick and saying the time phrases, and the poor guy was like, yo, dude, slow down. I don't know how to say that. But one of the things that happened there, I was, I was kind of making the message of it's time to get real with Jesus. You know what I mean? It's time to get real with him. And at that time, it was time to answer the question once again, what am I going to do with Jesus? It was time to step up and get real with the one who died for you. It was time to see who Jesus was in my life. It was time to stop playing the game. It was time to say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. It's time to live for you. According to your scriptures, every day, side note, every day, hear me now, every day you have to answer the question, what am I going to do with Jesus today? Will I accept him or reject him? Will I accept him in this decision or will I reject him in this decision? Every day. Now, God revealed himself mightily that evening, and we sought to witness a true spiritual awakening. There was weeping going on. There was restoration between students. Some accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. One, one student came grieving into my arms. He looked up at me and said, I'm tired of running. I've had enough. I've run away long enough. It was time to run to him. We stepped outside. We prayed. Accepted the Lord. I bring him back into a crowd of 71 of us. And I said, yo, yo, wait, wait. I got something to tell you. Here's your new brother in Christ. There was all again, he was being mobbed. Again, people were crying, hugging. All of a sudden, another classmate comes running up to me. Mr. C, Mr. C, come quick. So-and-so wants to accept Jesus. I go running over to him and say, yo, what's going on? He goes, I'm done running. I want to accept the Lord. We go outside. We accept the Lord. I come back in and said, hey, hey, everybody, everybody, I want to introduce to you your new brother in Christ. It all breaks out again. Three hours. Three hours. It didn't stop. Of students who was brought up knowing the Lord, finally committed to obey him completely, to follow him completely. Restoration between people who weren't even speaking were restored. Why? Because they answered the question. What am I going to do with Jesus today? And they got to celebrate in the presence of Almighty God for over three hours. And then the whole thing went after that outside to the wee, well, daybreak of praising the Lord on a quad. There was nothing like it to see the movement of the Holy Spirit like that. This, ex this experience proves something to me. We don't know anyone's heart. And it doesn't matter if they attend church with you, if they attend Bible study with you, if they're sitting next to you. Don't think they're okay. Ask them the question, who is Jesus to you? 
ask him, why? Because we're talking about forever. Talking about forever. You know, we are to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all we're called to do. Share your testimony. You know what? Nobody can debate with you your personal testimony, what the Lord has done to you. Yeah, they can debate all the religion they want with you, but they can't debate what Jesus has done to your life. They can't do it. Why? Because it's yours. So share it and leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. That's all you got to do is share it. There will be times when individuals will simply reject Christ. They'll just look at you flat out and say no. But you know what? There's issues there. They have a hard heart. They have a hard heart. But you know what? There's another element going on there. Listen to Paul when he wrote. There, I said it again, Paul. It's Paul, not Paul. Paul, there's that New York thing, Paul. <laughs> when, I used to, when I used to be preaching Paul, my family, I love them dearly, would hold up little signs and write P-A-W and kind of flashing at me when I was preaching. Can you imagine that, your own family? <laughs> What's up with that? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3, through 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. This is referring to those hard heart cats. In their cases, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see that no good low-life snake is blinding those individuals and saying, keep that hard heart, continue to reject him, he's fake, he's not alive. That's a lie. That's a lie. There's a spiritual warfare going on with people, and they're rejecting the Lord. Why? Because Satan's blinding them. They need to know that. Oh, man, watch their eyeballs fall out of their head when you tell them, the reason why you're saying no to Christ is because Satan's whooping your buttocks and blinding you from the truth. Try it sometime. And they'll say, oh, no, what are you talking about? So let me go show you 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. There you go, dude. That's one of his biggest ploys. One of his other ones is he blinds regular church attendees, thinking they're okay. They're, you know, these people go to church a lot of times, and they got Christ intellectually. They hear the gospel message, but they've never accepted Jesus' as free gift. Why? Because Satan's in there kind of like distracting them. Or they're getting false teachings. They're being taught it's just not about God's grace. You must do all this other stuff to get eternity. That's a lie. You don't have to earn it. It's a free gift. Take it. Jesus is saying, come to me. That's all he says. Come get it. You don't have to be the best boy in the world, best girl in the world, you know, go home and pray five hours. No. You don't have to do any good works. It's free. I love how in Acts, when they're, um, Paul and Silas are in jail, Acts chapter 16, verses 30, 30 and 31, and it's when the jailer finally yells out. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did they say? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. No add-ons. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. No to-do list. What's up? Come on. Come on to me. That's all Jesus wants. Now, here's another cool thing. 
you know, I hear about the E3 team. Awesome. I love evangelism. Yeah, I'll go knock on any door with you, any country, anywhere. I love to do this. Ask the question sometime to somebody. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Just ask it. I love some of the responses that you'll get. Well, I go to such and such church. Well, I was, I was born in this church. My daddy's a deacon. Or um, I'm a good person. Here's the one that kills me. I think so. Dude, you don't need to think. You can know. You see, you can have assurance by simply having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to think so. You don't have to think so. And Paul made sure of that in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, when he said, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's all it takes. Are we willing to go there? In verse 18, Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I'm not going to get into it, but this verse is stirred up with many a theologian. A variety of denominations argue over it. Whenever I hear these debates of people holding up men, of people, individuals holding on to their denomination, their conviction, all the pride comes out, I simply reply to them and say, meet me at the cross. Let's go back to the non-negotiables. Let's not debate the things that have been being debated for centuries. Meet me at the cross and let's start there. As Christians, well, back to Peter being an awesome man, strong Christian leader, but we're not to put our faith in man. It didn't say Peter was going to grow his church. Jesus said, you're going to build my church. It's through Christ alone. We make up the church. We are the building blocks of Christ's church. We're called to go and make disciples. The going is to share the Lord, what he's done in your life, how he's changed you, and the making of the disciples is to teach the truth so they can grow up with a walk with the Lord. We need to get into the game, stop playing the game. We need to get off the sidelines, or worse yet, if you're in the bleachers, you better come on running down and get close at least. And then in the last verse, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind up on earth, you shall bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth, you shall be loosed in heaven. The keys here refer to Peter, his authority to preach the truth and confirm their salvation. As believers, we have the same Holy Spirit in us, and we have the same keys. We have the gospel of Christ to open the door. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to deliver the truth. There's only one way to spend eternity with Almighty God. I think John 14, 6, every, probably every person who was raised in the church which knows Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. In closing, I want to leave you with a couple of questions. Oh, man, let me talk to that dude. 
Put them on a speakerphone. What do you think? We got a whole bunch of dudes here who want to talk to you about Jesus. Man, how awesome would that be? One of these days I'm going to have somebody call me just randomly when I'm up preaching somewhere. And I'll have you guys do it. Here you go. Here we go. Hold on. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you have the head knowledge? Is that all you got? Then let tonight be the night you get real with him and ask him into your life. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? What's the issue that's holding you back from giving your life to the one who died for you? He loved you that much. What excuse can you possibly have not to give your life to him? Because he gave his for you. What's the excuse that's keeping you to spend time with Christ? What's the excuse that's keeping you from spending time with the Lord? Are you letting Satan blind you from seeing the truth? You letting him win? I got news for you. He's a defeated foe, and we claim the victory through Jesus Christ. He always wins. Or maybe, what's your dark secret or that reputable sin in your life that you keep going back to? Or what is the one you're hiding from everybody? It's not hidden. It's not hidden. Ask Christ for your forgiveness. Jesus loves us. Yeah, we're all a bunch of slugs. Get over it. Get over it. Go to the cross and ask for forgiveness. Ask for the courage to try to overcome whatever that idol is that distracts you from having the delight in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let today be the day you get off the fence. Get off the fence. Don't be one of those fence jumpers. So what are you going to do with Jesus? Accept him or reject him? You've been going through the motions and playing church. Again, I encourage you, stop playing. Get it right right now. Get it right. For those of you that have been believers for some time, when was the last time your heart ached for somebody you know that doesn't know the Lord? That you call friend. That you call brother. That you call sister that you call uncle, that you call coincident, co- co- uh, colleague. When was the last time your heart ached for that person? When was it? Why haven't you shared Christ? You know, there's going to be a time here where you can be asked to grab the card and fill it out. I'm going to ask you the question when you fill that out. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord God, hallelujah to your name. Praise be to your name, Lord. Lord, how I just pray right now for this room to feel your presence.
Lord, I pray for, for those that maybe their hearts are pounding, that they'll let it pound so hard that will bring them somebody here to talk about you. But I just pray you will not let anyone go until they get right with you. Lord, put cement in their shoes. Have them weep if weeping needs to happen. Lord, how we just rejoice in knowing you. Lord, we rejoice in your promises. We rejoice in your love. We rejoice in the transformation that you provide. Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our mind. To you be the glory. Amen.